Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm so pleased to have Avalyn Cotton as my guest today. Avalyn Cotton, MA and BCET, is the director of the Cotton Educational Therapy Center. She is a board-certified educational therapist with a private practice in Brentwood and Malibu, California. Avalyn has 30 years of experience working with both private and public school students from kindergarten to high school who have learning differences including dyslexia, dysgraphia, dyscalculia, ADHD, executive functioning deficits, and other learning differences. Avalyn has been an active member of the Association of Educational Therapists and has presented at national conferences on identification of learning disabilities and assistive technology skills. She supports collaborating as a part of a multidisciplinary team with classroom teachers, learning specialists, support professionals, and parents to help ensure that the needs of a student are being addressed and necessary accommodations are being implemented. Welcome, Avalyn, and thank you so much for joining me today to share some very important information. Hi, Gilda. I'm really excited to be here and um, to be talking with you about my experience and um, hope that this will help some of your listeners. Well, thank you. Now, to begin, you are very familiar with various types of assistive technology that is available. How can it be most successfully used for students with learning differences? Well, um, let me just say that before the pandemic started, I've been doing this for 25 years. And um, when it first started, some of the um, uh, programs that they used differentiated a learning disabled kid from students, regular students in the classroom. But with the um, more frequent use of assistive technology and programs like um, word processes with voice activation, um, regular kids in the classroom are using this. And um, with the switch over to virtual learning this past year, I saw such a tremendous improvement, which probably is one of the positive things about the pandemic, that kids as young as second grade, third grade, learned how to navigate um, many of the websites and tools and um, stay, take screenshots and send in their work, which probably wouldn't have happened until a middle school. Um, but there are, you know, of course, it depends on the specific type of learning disability that a student has. And, um, you know, if their um, difficulties are more in the area of reading and dyslexia, then you would gear the programs to um, reading tools, uh, programs that would um, read the text to the student or um, where they could annotate and um, extract notes um, using audio books. Um, if the problems are more um, visual motor, then you would use different types of programs to assist the students where um, they could um, do text-to-speech and, um, uh, you know, use these programs to um, sort of help accommodations uh, for the difficulties that they might have at home and in the classroom. 
All right. So what are some of the warning signs or red flags that educators, parents can look for to identify certain learning differences? Well, the first thing is sometimes parents will identify it as early as, you know, six months to a year. But usually um, the first indications, unless it's a very severe um, learning difference, it's the teachers in preschool and kindergarten who will um, begin to identify that the kids are, are not learning at the same rate as some of their peers. Sometimes it'll be a pediatrician who will notice certain um issues going on with a kid, of course, depending on what the type of difficulty is. If it's attentional, they'll be distracted and won't be focusing in the classroom. But, a, you know, an astute pediatrician will ask the parent um, the right kinds of questions. Um, it's unusual for a student to get a full um, neuropsych evaluation before first or second grade because sometimes some of these issues are developmental and you want to give the kid the benefit of a doubt that um, you know different kids learn at different rates but usually if they're still having these kind of difficulties by the end of first grade going into second grade um, it is you know, good idea to have some kind of assessment done, um, almost like a, a red flag um, warning sign, because my experience has shown me that early intervention is the most critical factor when you're working with kids who have learning differences. Um, I can't tell you how many times I have gotten a new referral of a student who's in seventh grade and when I assess them for their reading skills, this kid is three or four years below um, this level that they should be. And when that happens, going back and, you know, intervening and teaching them some of the basic reading skills and strategies is virtually impossible because by that time, you know, the kid is astute enough to know that they're not working at the same level as their peers. And they've they've learned different types of strategies to avoid learning or um, act as the class clown so that nobody realizes that they really are struggling with the learning and um, they lose motivation. They um, are not interested in, in reading and it's much, much more difficult to remediate at a later stage. So um, the earlier you can get intervention, the more successful the um, prognosis is. I think that's an excellent, excellent point. Um, yeah. And it, it is very unfortunate of the number of the students who do kind of slip through the cracks. Right. Um, so can you be a little more specific about the different types of learning differences that these younger students will exhibit? Um, yes. Um, of course, it depends on the specific age, but the, um, the red flags to look for in, um, you know, preschool kids and um, kindergartners will depend on the type of learning issue that they have. But basically, um, those students with um, language deficits will be um, late talkers. They um, might not um, 
be able to, they might have articulation issues, but that's usually not the primary issue. But they might have limited vocabulary growth. You know, they're not picking up words from their environment and aren't able to use the vocabulary in sentences. Um, one of the signs of dyslexia is that the kids cannot rhyme when they're younger and don't seem to memorize nursery rhymes and um, little um, poems that they hear. Um, for the reading um, uh, difficulties that are signs that there might be problems ahead, um, they might have difficulty learning the alphabet, reciting the alphabet song, and then in kindergarten and first grade, they might have trouble learning the um, sound symbol relationships and with phonological awareness. Um, they have very slow processing speed and naming speed. Um, they don't show any interest in reading. They might not even enjoy having parents read to them. Although um, many students who are dyslexic love reading and will listen for hours and can often remember the stories. But if they were reading it themselves, they would lose um, the content and the meaning because they're struggling so much about decoding each um, individual uh, word and, you know, each individual sound. Um, Interestingly, with students who are on the who are dyslexic or have reading disorders, often once they have actually learned to break the code and decode, um, at a later stage in the upper elementary school and middle and high school, they will still have trouble with reading pace and fluency, even though they actually have learned how to decode. And what I recommend for the older kids is um, to listen to books on tape and um, actually read the book while they're listening to it and be active readers. Um, I always suggest that the students use different color highlighters. So while they're listening to it and reading it, um, they can color code like all the new vocab words could be green and new characters could be pink. And that way they stay actively engaged with what they're reading. And sometimes I'll even get them to take a post-it note at the end of the chapter and just do a few different post-its of what they've read so that they, I can ascertain if they have understood it and also so that they can go back and, and remember what they've read. Um, students who have motor skill difficulties right from the beginning will have um, trouble with their gross motor milestones. They will start um, crawling late, they'll sit late, they'll walk late, they'll have trouble with skipping and running. Um, when they start school, they'll have trouble with their fine motor skills. They won't hold the pencil correctly. They don't form the letters um, correctly. And um, their handwriting might be illegible. Um, spelling is often off. And um, this might be something that even with intervention um, sticks with them, even in their um, high school and, you know, middle school years. And um, you need to tell, teach them how to use spell checks and 
how to go back a few times and just double check if they're copying that they've copied correctly and haven't, um, you know, left letters out because some of them will just rush through it. And um, if they know that they have difficulties, then it's even more important just to give them strategies to try and help themselves if they are spelling like, you know, the same word five times in a different way. Um, those uh, kids who have difficulty with cognition might have difficulty memorizing basic facts. Um, they would be, you know, uh, often easily frustrated, um, poor sleep habits, um, if they've got attention difficulties, and sometimes, you know, they might have an attention deficit combined with dyslexia, and there's a huge comorbidity rate with um, students who have learning differences for um, depression and um, dyslexia and other kind of learning differences. And sometimes it's very hard to tell which came first. It's kind of like the chicken and the egg thing. You know, did these learning differences cause the kid to be depressed and irritable or was it the irritability combined with, you know, the learning difference that gave, you know, the kid these kind of difficulties? Some of these signs of um, an attention deficit early on would be, you know, impulsivity, hyperactivity, um, disorganization, losing things, not being able to follow directions, um, difficulty with a change in a routine or any kind of changes in their um, uh, in their lives. You know, parents um, have gone on long trips and those type of things. So those are the, the, the types of things to look for um, early on. And I cannot stress um, uh, high, hardly enough the importance of the, you know, the teachers being aware of these differences and bringing it to the attention to, to the, of the parents. You know, in the public school setting, the parent can apply for an IEP and um, make sure that the student will be getting the resources and um, what they need. In um, some of the private schools where they have a learning specialist at the school, um, usually the teachers will bring um, the child to the attention of the learning specialist who can evaluate them and watch them in the classroom and give um, suggestions. Um, at the in at one part of my practice, I worked for 15 years as a learning specialist in a private day school, and um, we routinely used to evaluate um, the kindergartners just to see if they were, you know, vulnerable or if they needed to be watched in the first couple of years of school, and that way um, we would make sure that they were getting the right interventions and. Um, you know, if you meet with the parents and tell them what you're seeing, often the parents will be in denial and they'll say, oh, it's just the teacher or it's a bad school or, you know, <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. But if the parents keep hearing the same thing year after year, you know, usually by fourth or fifth grade, they will say, well, maybe there is something going on here and they will be willing to 
try, you know, the recommendations and interventions that the school and staff are um, suggesting. Um, I have a lot of difficulty when I hear that a kid was in the public school and the parent was telling the teachers, you know, right from the beginning that they were concerned and that there were things that weren't right in um, the way that the kid was learning and doing their homework and keeping up with the rest of the class. And the teachers would say, and I've heard this so many times, don't worry, they're doing fine. And they're right in the middle of the class. And then a couple of years later, um, you know, maybe they change schools or a teacher who's more experienced in identifying, you know, learning differences would bring it to the attention of the parents. And they were right to be concerned and to, you know, be the best advocate for their kids because sometimes parents have, you know, an intuition especially when they see um, students who are soaring ahead or they go to back to school and those type of things. Difficulties with um, written expression known as dysgraphia um, can, you know, really hold back a, a kid, especially when they get to third or fourth grade where they cannot, you know, take written tests, they can't express themselves. And um, I strongly recommend that the, the, the teachers make accommodations and give them like extra time on the test. Um, sometimes they will even dictate a, a social studies test and the teacher will grade them on the content rather than um, the fact that they only were able to write a half a page and not answer all the questions. Um, Using a word processor, especially with um, spell check and where you can dictate into the word processor, has been an absolute godsend for um, students with um, learning differences. It can make or break them. And once they become proficient with it, it it's, it's a game changer. Um, students with math difficulties known as dyscalculia, um, many dyslexics, also have difficulties with math and will have trouble um, lining the problems up, um, might add instead of subtract, um, may only do part of the problem. And um, what I recommend is, you know, that you give the student accommodations for the math as well. You know, allow them to use a calculator, whether they use the calculator um, in the beginning, just to see what the answer should be, and then go back and um, do all the different steps. Or um, some kids feel more comfortable, you know, doing the steps, getting an answer, and then checking themselves on the calculator. And you can get talking calculators, which are, you know, very helpful as well. But um, I went to do an in-service at a school a year, a, half, a year and a half ago, it was a private Catholic school. And I made this suggestion to the teachers. And one of the teachers said to me, but if we gave them a calculator, that would be cheating because we would never know whether they knew the concept or not. And um, it was really hard to explain and to, you know, have them actually understand what the child is going through and um, how just giving that tool 
would help them and you know not turn them off math completely. So you have to be very astute with those things. Um, another type of learning difference that some students have is a nonverbal learning difficulty. And these are the kids who will be really good at language. They'll have strong reading skills very often, but um, they have poor visual spatial skills and they have a lot of difficulty with nonverbal cues. Like um, they might say something to someone and the person will be like, like shocked that they could have said that or be turned off by it. And yet they'll go on and on and on and not even pick up that they've offended the person or that they've bored the person. Um, this type of child might have difficulty understanding puns and figurative language. And, you know, these skills need to be specifically taught um, through social skills group or specific types of programs where you make them more aware and you, you know, help them to do these um, mock sort of telephone conversations. Like if you wanted to call a friend and invite them over, this is what you would do. And then another area that's had a lot of interest um, of, of late is um, executive functioning deficits. And there are a couple of um, people in the field like um, George McCloskey and Thomas Brown who have been, you know, very um, interested in understanding how executive deficits relate to um, different types of um, learning differences, especially ADHD. That was actually going to be my next question, yeah. <laughs> specifically about executive functioning, because we've all heard the term. Right. But can you tell us a little bit more about exactly what that means and what some of the strategies are to help students with that type of difficulty? Absolutely. Um, executive functioning skills differ from student to student. But overall, the difficulty that the student will have with self-regulating skills for everyday activities, Thomas Brown um, uh, describes this as, you know, You're a popular woman as the conductor <laughs> that controls all the different types of um, uh, executive functioning skills. And he has a list of six different skills that are involved in um, executive functioning. The first one is activation, which is organizing tasks, time management, prioritization. The second skill is focus, being able to sustain attention, especially when it's not meaningful. Because, you know, parents will come in and say, oh, my kid can spend eight hours building Lego or can watch TV for <laughs> six hours. It's because those are the skills that they want to be doing and are interesting to them. But when they need to do that at school and um, it's required of them, it's just not meaningful and they cannot modulate and sustain their attention. Um, the third area is um, effort, regulating uh, alertness, um, slow processing, 
They might do fine if there's a shorter assignment for school where they just have to read a passage and answer questions, but might have a difficulty with the longer term assignments where they have to manage their time and pace it and, you know, do an outline and then um, make sure that they've done their rough draft at a certain time so that they don't leave, you know, the final assignment to the last night when the printer breaks down and then they have to, they hand it in late. So, um, you know, some things that seem like natural to a very organized um, person might just cause chaos for a kid who has executive functioning deficits. The fourth area is emotion, um, how to manage frustration. And if their um, focus is disrupted, then it's extremely difficult to do anything else because they're just thinking about something that is, has upset them. And um, Dr. Brown talks about like having a virus on a computer where until you get rid of that virus, you can't um, do the other things that you need to do in order to stay calm. And um, you also need to have um, strategies um, when you start getting anxious and disorganized and panicking to calm yourself down so that you can, you know, just go methodically step by step. The fourth area is memory. They can't access information when they need it or the right type of um, information. And um, that might cause them to be frustrated. And um, this would be particularly relevant for a kid who's taking a standardized test and knows that they only have 30 minutes to answer, you know, 50 questions and they see that they're running out of time and start to panic, and then they've, they've lost it and can't even answer the questions that they would have been able to do. And then the last section is action, like, you know, knowing how to regulate your pace. Um, some kids just rush through it and um, are so proud that they were the first person <laughs> to finish in the class and others just are oblivious to the time and the teacher will say, you know, put your pencils down or time's up or something like that, and they're only halfway through a test. So, you know, making a student aware of their learning style and, you know, uh, teaching metacognitive strategies is really important with kids who have these learning differences and another thing, especially when the student starts to get um, to get older, is that you need to make um, students advocate for themselves once they understand what their learning issues are. You know, in the early years, it's usually the parents who are going to the school administration or, you know, the special ed teacher or learning specialist at the school and saying, you know, this is what's going on. But once the child understands themselves and in middle and high school, you know, they have to be advocates and they have to know that if I need extra time, I need to ask the teacher or if I'm not understanding someone, something at school, I need to go to the teacher during office hours and that type of thing. And some students don't want to do that. They don't want to be 
perceived as different to the others. They don't want their kids to know that they're in a special class or being pulled out for certain, um, you know, interventions. But you have to teach them the right way of doing it. And I guess the teachers themselves have to be more aware of how to interact and how to make a student like that feel comfortable and not embarrass them in front of the class. Well, you know, it's just so amazing, Evelyn, how many different presentations these types of differences and difficulties can have mm-hmm. and how, how denial on a parent's part or ignorance on a teacher's part can have such an enormous impact. So uh, people like you and the service you provide are, are definitely so important. So tell me, how can uh, a parent find appropriate resources to help their children with these learning differences? And also, how can they reach you if they have questions and if they want to know more? Okay, let me start with the first part first. Um, there, there is a lot of awareness of learning differences compared to, you know, 30 years ago. So um, there are a lot of professional organizations that you can turn to. Um, there's the Association of um, Educational Therapists that I've been a member of for the last 30 years. Um, there's LDA, which is the Learning Disabilities Association, Um, There's an association called CHAD for um, attention deficits. And then um, there are special ed schools, um, specifically in the Los Angeles area. There are schools like um, Westmark and Park Century and um, Frostic in the Pasadena Pasadena area. Um, There are books and workshops that parents um, can attend to familiarize themselves of the learning issues. If the student has a a, a difficulty um, that clearly they need um, help for, um, I strongly recommend having a neuropsychological evaluation done where by a a certified professional who can give you um, Uh, recommendations of how to follow up on this and, um, you know, what steps to take first. Sometimes um, I've gotten these neuropsych evaluations and they'll say the child needs speech therapy, OT, vision therapy and psychotherapy and the parents are completely overwhelmed. They don't know what to do first and that, you know, expecting the kid to go every single day after school to, you know, have these interventions is just not realistic. So you have to help them prioritize and say, well, let's try this. This is the most important thing. And then maybe after six months, you can try this and, you know, keep monitoring and evaluating um, the progress. I would recommend um, certain uh, uh, programs like um, Learning Ally, where you can download um, textbooks and get um, all your books, um, even textbooks, you can listen to them and um, you can use the library for resources. You can do audio books. Um, I would just, you know, strongly recommend that parents try and, you know, educate themselves as to what is out there. And um, if they don't, if they can't find the help, 
try and seek it through one of those other organizations. And um, if you want to um, reach out to me, um, my email address is acotton, A-K-O-T-T-O-N, at gmail.com. And my website is www.cottonedtherapy.com. And I'd be happy to either, you know, do a consult with you or um, refer you to any of the resources that might be the most helpful to you. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much, Ablin, for your time and for giving us some terrific information today. You're very welcome. And um, anytime you need additional help, please feel free to contact me. Wonderful. Yes. Would love to have you back at some point in the future to continue this discussion. Thank you very much. I also want to thank our listeners for spending a part of their day with us. I'm Gilda Evans reminding you to take care of yourself and that special person in your life.